in today's episode of the Sixers Beat. Rich and I go over the Sixers' two-game losing streak to the Clippers and the Nuggets, how much you should be concerned about it, Ben Simmons' struggles since the All-Star break, and what options could be left for the Sixers in the buyout market. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? We'll start off there because we know how the team's doing. We'll get into that. We have the entire rest of this podcast to talk about that. But first, let's start it off with you. How are you, Rich Hoffman, doing? I'm good, man. How about you? Yeah, I'm hanging in there. Hanging the fuck in there, waiting to get my shot in the arm uh, and see if we can return uh, my literal shot in the arm this time and see if we can start returning basketball. I am just, I'm dying. If we can just get these vaccines out, I can get a run of basketball in that would make my life just fractionally better. And I would be happy, but we are you're trying to, you're trying to hoop. I'm you're trying? trying to hoop a little bit. That would be great. It's a good point. I have not played basketball in eh, probably 13 months. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and it's just a, a good way to get some exercise, blow off some steam. I, I, I miss that. I miss that. Um, and I've got my, a, shot, my shot is definitely busted right now. Yeah. I, yeah. And I've got a league I play in and it's a good mix of people younger than me and older than me. I'm kind of right in the middle of it. Uh, but a lot of the older people now who have gotten both of their shots and are a couple of weeks out of their second shot are now starting to organize an outdoor run. And I am very jealous. Um, but I am, it sounds like in PA, we should be a couple more weeks away until it is available for just about everyone. And then we can start getting back to a tiny bit of normalcy once that is all taken care of. But this is not a coronavirus podcast, even though for a couple of weeks there in the last summer, it sort of masqueraded as one, but it is not a coronavirus podcast. It also, are- it also masqueraded as somewhat of an us playing basketball podcast for like, yeah, like an episode and a half, I yeah, would say. Yeah, but then it, it kind of went away. It did. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the future. Return. Who, who knows? But we do have a basketball team. They do play basketball. Uh, play it much better than we would anyway. To talk about. And the Sixers, after having won 10 of 11 games, including uh, four in a row on this. Well, three in a row on the road trip. One right before they went on the road. Looks like they have finally started to miss one Joel Hans and beat. And I don't want to say like, I made sort of like a sarcastic tweet in the first quarter of the game against the Nuggets. Um, I don't think last night or even against the Clippers was all about Joel Embiid. Certainly that's an impact, but like their man-to-man perimeter defense was so awful against the Nuggets. They probably get smoked in that game, even without Joel Embiid. Like they just played awful. They did a bad job getting back in transition. They gave up dribble penetration constantly. Uh, Their rotations were slow to recover. It was just a, a, a bad game overall. Uh, and they ended up dropping that one. Ended up being a respectable score. It wasn't a respectable game. Uh, the first half of that game, they got smoked and really had six consecutive bad quarters of basketball defensively against the Clippers and the Nuggets. So I guess we'll just take a step back, talk about the road trip so far and life without Joel Embiid so far, and what your general impressions of that have been so far. So far. Well, first off, have, have you develop the appreciation of doc rivers that i have after a bad loss yeah they're fantastic i mean mean, obviously he's 
you know, he's pretty good with the media in general. He, he knows how to yuck it up. But man, after a bad loss, he, as somebody who, who enjoys reveling in, in misery, he loves to just lay it on like, man, we sucked. Yeah. We were terrible. And he says that in a much more creative way than uh, than I just did. What were his uh, what were some of his greatest hits last night? You tweeted one of them out, right? Yeah, let's see. We have uh... there was something about yeah, so this one. There were so many areas where we were bad for me to try to point out one would be unfair to the other bad areas, which I appreciate as somebody who is also very sarcastic, especially when frustrated. I like that one. And then asked to take positives from the loss to the Nuggets. He said the positive was that the clock finally expired. And he was like, I wish it was AAU rules where when there's a blowout, they, uh, yeah. they start the running clock in the second half. It was, uh, it was that type of game. Really weird box score when you look at the end of it because it was a weird game. The Nuggets, not only did they let their foot off the, the gas pedal in the second quarter, they really started to do it at the end of the game, despite the fact that Doc, as is his... Uh, custom he put the subs in pretty early waved the white flag and you basically had Tyrese Maxey scoring on Nikola Jokic to cut it to six points with about 30 seconds left in the game which again it never got too close but there was an Isaiah Joe open jumper away (laughs) from like man they might actually make this pretty interesting Uh, yeah the first quarter defensively in that game that is that was some of the worst defense the Sixers have ever played. The Nuggets, like when they're making threes, that is, that's a good team. And I guess to answer your question on where these two games fit, where the road trip fits, I'm not that worried about these two uh, losses. These are tough games. Full strength yep. Clippers, full strength Nuggets on the road without Embiid, even with Embiid, those are going to be tough games to uh, to win. The Clippers game, I mean, they at least scored at a at a pretty high level in that game. They just they didn't really defend in the second half, and that's you know that's to be expected. The Clippers, you know, they made a bunch of threes. They're a very good three point shooting team, um, but yeah, they they didn't play good defense. Ben Simmons talked about the altitude. I don't know what it was. That was one of his worst defensive games I've seen in a long yeah. time. You know, you just saw early in the game, Jamal Murray blowing by him it looked like he was in quicksand you know and that's uh that's something we don't usually see from him i hope it's not a uh a sign of of things to come um because we're going to get into his play in a little bit but no am i that worried about losing those games in general not really um i think doc said after the game you know if they win the game in cleveland like when you started the six game road trip you would have said that's a very successful road trip if they go four and two if you if you ask anybody who's been in the NBA for a long time, whether it's a player or coach, you have a four and two road trip that involves a West Coast swing. Like that is reason for celebration. Would you have liked them to play a little bit better in the uh, in the game last night? And are there some areas of concern moving forward? Sure, but overall, this is um, you know this is a rough patch for for a couple games that I think is to be expected and might not necessarily transfer over to the next month. Yeah. Um, and not only a four and two road trip, but you'd be talking about seven and three without Joel Embiid. Uh, and for that stretch, I mean, look again, we go back to it when it started, we, uh, we were talking four and six would be an accomplishment. So seven and three. Yeah. You'll take that every time. The problem is you've got the Cavaliers who, for some reason, 
have the yeah, Sixers got, number in a way that I can't number. explain right now. So you do still have to get through that. But it is, yeah, I mean, look, overall, the road trip, the stretch without Embiid, you'll take that. There are some concerning trends. Uh, and besides the, the defense the last two games, they have not had a real good offensive game here outside of that Kings game with, I mean, the Kings are the worst. Like we said, that that is the worst defensive performance that we've seen from the Sixers in a long time. Kings are the worst defensive team I've seen in maybe ever. Outside of that Kings game, they have not played good offensive basketball without Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons has reverted in many respects to not full beginning of year Ben Simmons, but certainly not that guy we were seeing uh, before the All-Star break. Tobias Harris here over the last seven or so games has been solid, but maybe not quite what you needed with Embiid out of the lineup. The last seven games, shooting 33% from three and only taking 2.6 per game. Uh, so he has maintained sort of like his scoring and his um, efficiency, but he hasn't he just he hasn't ramped it up maybe like you would expected or hoped for without Embiid. Uh, there's just, and and I mean, uh, what they're going to do at backup center is, I have no idea. And that's maybe the biggest concern. The biggest concern is Ben Simmons and getting him back to where he was in January and February, in my eyes. Uh, the second biggest concern is I still don't know what you do with uh, with that backup center spot. And those two do, they, like, they yeah, impact they, each other. They're related. Yeah. They're related problems. The uh, This is one I, of those I, years where Ben plays better with Joel because the other options are such poor fits with Ben. Yeah. And that's not to excuse him completely. It's no, been, not at all. it's been a weird stretch because since Embiid or since the all-star break, so you can include the 20 minutes that Embiid played against the wizards. The Sixers are giving up 102.2 points per hundred. Incredible. According to NBA.com. That's fantastic. That's the best in the league. And they've had Embiid for 20 minutes. Yep. And they've missed Simmons for a lot of those games. And, you know, there was a game last night where, I mean, they might as well have been missing Simmons because he was not his normal, very good self on the defensive end. So for them to hold that level of defense is is kind of preposterous. Like, that is Dan Burke, assistant coach of the year type stuff. I, uh, but But on the other hand, they're not winning... With you know, you normally would say going into a stretch without Embiid, hey Ben, you're gonna have to play really well to keep this team afloat. And instead, they've been better than afloat, despite the fact that Ben is not playing all that well. I uh, I wrote about his number since the the All Star break, and of course, you know he had the the COVID scare and quarantine, so you know he has not played in all of their games since the All Star break. But he's like. You know, the, the normal numbers, the, he will have the same counting numbers regardless of how he's playing. You know, he's 15 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. But the two that, that really stand out to me, he's averaging five turnovers per game right now. Yeah. That's no bueno. And then uh, this is the really ugly one, 51% true shooting for a guy who, who lives at the rim. And, you know, we had seen get to the free throw line a lot. and you know, shoot close to 70% there for a while. You know, again, it's it's one stretch of the season, but I don't really want to sugarcoat it. Like, he's been bad for the past two weeks, and despite the fact that they've been winning these games with their defense, with the occasional Danny Green outburst from Not three. the occasional, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's been on fire, yeah. And that didn't, uh, you know, and, and 
I think for good reason, last week, we weren't concerned about Ben Simmons struggling for a couple of games because A, they were winning, and B, we were worried about the trade deadline. You know, that's yep. the that's the thing that will have a longer term impact. But but it is worth pointing out that they are despite the fact they are winning these games, Ben he he played so well going into the All-Star break. And and now he has reverted back to the early season form. I mean, that level of inefficiency, that's that's bad, man. I don't I don't really know what else to say. I, I was thinking back to the loss similar game. Tough team in the Rocky Mountain time zone without Embiid. That loss against Utah, that was one you could feel pretty good about. You know, that was one we were saying afterwards, all right, they lost. They couldn't stop the Jazz. Jazz are a really good offensive team. But Ben had 42 points. He was attacking Gobert like a madman. And uh, this was a uh, a different type of performance for him. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks. And we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager yeah for sure uh and for him i mean you mentioned those numbers the efficiency numbers for a guy who pretty much refuses to take any shot that isn't an efficient shot. Uh, those are, are real tough numbers. Uh, and outside of, you know, maybe the game against the Warriors, he just hasn't really looked all that comfortable offensively. Overall stats uh, in the nine games without Joel Embiid, the Sixers, with, again, six and three plus 6.5 net rating, which is really strong. Like That's a, a top 10 team over that stretch weird, without This has been player. a weird stretch. It's, that being it's a said, very weird their stretch. Their offense is... Hold on, I'm scrolling. 19th in the league at a 109.1 offensive rating, and their defense is still first. And when we say first, it's first by a full two points per 100 possessions. And up until these last two games, it was, I mean, it was like 98 or something points per 100 possessions. They were playing lockdown defense. Uh, It does seem like it has caught up to them. It caught up to them in part. I mean, look, the Clippers are a team that is real good at pulling out switches attacking your weaknesses. And if you don't have a guy to clean up in the paint, they're going to make your life hell. And they moved the ball real well. Uh, once they got into the lane, they were a team that, again, with the Sixers team that's starting a bunch of weak defenders and doesn't have any kind of rim protection to make up for it, 
that was a tough matchup for sure. And Denver is a tough matchup for pretty much everyone. So they play the competition between, you know, Denver and the Clippers, again, two teams that are healthy and a Lakers team, which had neither LeBron nor AD or the Warriors or even the Knicks were having a nice little season. Uh, the Kings, like we're at a different level of the league. Like it, it, it's, it was going to come back. And also you're on a, you know, tail end of a West coast trip in a altitude that is tough to play in. There's just a whole lot of reasons why that would have been a tough one. Now, the last game of a road trip is typically not historically isn't kind either. And they're playing a team that, again, for whatever reason, and I, I can't tell you, I know the exact reason has their number this year. But yeah, it, it look, you expected these two games would be tough. Uh, I am a little bit concerned about Ben in part because his game is so much based on confidence and comfort and he doesn't right now seem like he has that. And when that happens, he dials back the aggressiveness. And that does seem like what we're seeing here. That being said, you're without Joel Embiid, you're without George Hill. Paul Reed hasn't yet figured out the league to dominate like he will eventually. Uh, so things will not stay this way. But I guess that is a good way to pivot to our next conversation. Did, because one wait, thing did that... You, did you see the, the, the one positive from last night's game was Paul Reed running into Jokic at a time with like five seconds left in the game. And Doc asking him, like, what What are you doing? The, game's <laughs> o- the game is over, man. Like, <laughs> Paul so just he, wants to be out there, all right? He gifted Jokic a couple extra points. Did you also see the video of from from the practice a couple days ago where Doc played some old-school soul-type music, R&B-type music, which I'm going to be honest, I didn't even know who it was either, but he, he starts before the practice, and he says, uh, we won't practice if Paul Reed can identify who this is. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know who it was, but but B-Ball Paul said Marvin Gray. And uh, I mean, honestly, not, not a bad guess, but they uh, they gave him some grief on the the extra R on the, on the last name, too. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I did not see that, but I could definitely see that playing out. And wait, congrats wait. to B-Ball Paul on the NBA contract. I guess we can quickly go over the details of that. The, the rest of the season is guaranteed at the prorated minimum. And then he has two more years, uh, which are not guaranteed, also at the minimum. And it's a lot like the one they gave out to Isaiah Joe. Because it's a three-year deal, they had to dip into the taxpayer mid-level, just like they did with Joe a little bit, just a tiny bit. And because it's a taxpayer, you're limited to three years. So people are, well, why didn't they add a fourth year onto it? You can't. The reason they were able to do that with Shake Milton a couple years ago is because they had cap room, and they used cap room to sign Shake. So that's why they were able to get a fourth year on Shake's contract. Uh, so that is sort of the details of that. So if he plays well, uh, he can be a sixer for three years. And that would give them their bird rights. Um, and I guess that's also another thing. Like some people wonder, why why would you do it now? Why not wait to sign him to a three-year deal over the summer? Well, first of all, you might have a reason to use that entire taxpayer mid-level. Um, so you don't want to assume it's going to be there for, quite frankly, somebody who's not a major part of your rotation now. So if you knew you weren't likely to use it now, use that now. You want to reward your player for playing well, uh, and that will, I think, encourage other other two-way players to sign those deals in the future, even if they maybe think they deserve more than that. And also, NBA service time accrues on two-way contracts. So if they would have... He, basically, he will be a restricted free agent because he has three years of fewer experience on his NBA resume by the time he would be a free agent if he plays out this contract. 
Whereas if it was a three-year deal after this one, he would have four years and would be an unrestricted free agent. So in a best-case scenario, which has like a 1% chance of us worrying about this, a best-case scenario, you don't have to worry about him being an unrestricted free agent when he is a uh, when, when when his deal is up. So I guess, I guess those are kind of the details of the Paul Reed contract. Good yep, on him. And, and, and good for him. Let's go to Ben real quick. One question I have for you. Maybe you can give a percentage or, or just get your feel on this. The the percentage of the, the explanation for his his downturn. There are two things that I could see besides him just not playing well affecting him. One, no space, Dwight yeah. Howard, Tony Bradley. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been over that, and I, I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Do you think there's any chance that that left knee is bothering him? I mean, it's always a chance for sure, uh, especially in this weird, like they had two days off here uh, between the Clippers and the Nuggets game, and it was like, holy shit, like my complete schedule is thrown off because I'm so used to them playing every other day. And there's been no downtime in this season that I can certainly see something like that lingering longer than it otherwise would. And if you have a minor setback, not something that would keep you out of the lineup, not something that would threaten your playoff availability, but just a minor setback where it's hurting a little more. There's some soreness or some day after pain or something like that. Uh, it is harder to, I think, get that back into the right spot because there's just no, there's no time. There's no off time. So is it a possibility? Yeah. Uh, I would say that the spacing is certainly a factor in that. And also, I just think Ben's a player where when his confidence drops, it has pretty drastic impacts on the shots he's taken, the, the, the you know, situations he's forcing and, and, and trying to create. Uh, and I think right now he's just in a downward course of the season. I don't know. Yeah, the... Uh... That's the wave that you ride when when you have Ben Simmons. I I do think the knee could be, let's say, annoying him because we have seen him miss games this season with that left knee soreness. Most recently, a couple weeks ago against Sacramento when they had Tobias play that that great game and they lit the Kings up. Yeah, so I, I, I think that's something to at least keep an eye on. He, you know, he did mention that Crypt, kind of cryptically. Very and, cryptically. Uh, yeah. And look, it's only one person asking at a time. Um, the idea that, you know, there's some stuff going on and he needs to get his uh, his shit together. What what that stuff going on means? Is it just the state of the world and playing all these games? I don't know. Or or is it or is it something else? But uh, yeah, yeah, certainly certainly needs to play better. And uh, yeah, so so let's go to the. Uh, the buyout market here. Um, you have Daryl Morey after the trade deadline. He does a press conference and he is asked about the buyouts. And he says, okay, we, we do think we're going to be able to sign somebody from the buyout. We don't know for sure. And when you look at the buyout market, it is usually in his experience about opportunity. And while they'll take the the best player available from the buyout market, the Sixers do have more opportunity in the front court. That seems obvious, right? You, you know, you trade three of your centers for uh, for George Hill to to bolster that backcourt. I'm a bit worried that some of these, you know, you have Gorgie Jang, who is like an obvious stretch five, 
he signs in San Antonio, which is, it it does go to show that sometimes it's as simple as like, just want to play in LA for a contender. But other times the bio market is not so simple. Sure. And we saw that a couple of years ago with uh, Wes Matthews. Wes Matthews, who we thought was, I think the Sixers thought was, was going to be a very good candidate, but no, he went to Indiana to try and get more time and his next contract. So, you know, it's it's pretty complicated. I think we were spoiled that first year with the Ilyasova Bellinelli buyouts where you had players who at least made an impact, you know, through the first round of the playoffs. Um just just signed for the Sixers and it wasn't always going to be the case like that. Uh, you know. So you know, you have Jang who signs in San Antonio. You have Mike Muscala who the Oklahoma the Oklahoman, I'm sorry, reported is unlikely to be bought out. I, I'm still a little questionable about that because they're sitting him in Horford right now for for younger guys. Like, why wouldn't you buy him out? But then you have like Kelly Olynyk. You're allowed to do that. You are. Yeah. I thought you had to play every vet on the roster as much as they wanted. You're allowed to do that, and apparently the NBA isn't going to say anything about it either, too. Well, that's, that's because they're fresh out of Colangelo's. If Brian's son was a little bit older and ready to take over a team, then maybe it would be different. It is. What a joke. The The idea that we want to play young players to like that messaging. Oh, my God. You traded for Al Horford for three years. You have to, you should have to play him if you I don't know. I, I have no problem with them. I have Al no Horford. problem with I what have, they're I doing. Have, I have a problem with the discrepancy in how the NBA yes, is. Reacting. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Sam Hankey's biggest mistake, it wasn't drafting Julio for Oh, that was a pretty big one. Uh, it was the fact that he made no effort and quite frankly had an almost open disdain for the messaging aspect of his job uh, because he had to, he had a historic, um, not, not even really, he had an aggressive plan to, that would piss off a lot of people and he made no effort to message it. And look, you've got Sam Presti now who, outside of the Sixers had probably the most aggressive teardown and ex- extended uh, rebuild and tanking effort before, which netted them James Harden, Kevin Durant and Serge Baca and Russell Westbrook worked out. Okay. Uh, and now is, is having another aggressive tank and he has skated through fine. He has not had any Colangelo's brought in over his shoulder. Sam should have worked harder. He, sh- he should have messaged it more, but anyway, that is a long gone. So, so the obvious guys to me, I'm looking at this right now. You can add any if you think as a stretch five or Muscala and Kelly Olynyk. I'm not sure either of those guys are going to get bought out. Yeah, and if it seems like if uh, if Olynyk gets bought out, Boston a Boston reunion could be a uh, a real threat too. Yeah, and then you've got like maybe and you go to other people like Otto Porter. I'm not sure he and I'm sure the Magic are going to buy him out. Um, can I just say who I want to happen? I want Hassan Whiteside to get bought out because not because I think he'd be a good fit on the court, but I want to see Joel Embiid get pissed off in practice. But they don't practice, so it doesn't matter. I, I, I would just like to see the trolling between Whiteside and Embiid. But I think they'd become great friends. <laughs> uh, but, no, by the way, looks, you, you know what's been funny? Like when when people have talked about the buyout market and. You know, obviously some of the big dominoes are gone, like LaMarcus Aldridge and Andre Drummond. Some people, when they would talk about, you know, maybe Drummond joining the Heat or the Nets or somebody, say, well, that's another big body to throw up against Joel Embiid. And they mean it without remembering. Joel Embiid owns Andre Drummond more than anybody has ever owned anybody. Yeah. Well, that's why when the argument about Joel Embiid missing games against top centers came up and it's like, 
He's not scared of Andre Drummond. We know this. We have plenty of past experience to prove that that is not the reason why he sat out of that game. Yeah. But back, uh, back to the Sixers with the with the stretch five conundrum here. No, I think I think Olenek is the the the, the one. And look, I think the buyout market's weird because you either have teams that want to go to a destination or players that want to go to a destination city like New York, like L.A. And if that destination city also and, and throw Miami into that mix, if that destination city also then has a chance to make a title run, which right now New York and L.A. have three teams that do. Uh, that is tough to compete against. And also Coastal elites. Right. Uh, yeah. And also those teams have major deficiencies, especially Brooklyn to attract some of the higher name veterans. It is a sort of weird uh, wrinkle in the NBA's collective bargaining agreement where you can reward teams who are top heavy uh, with this buyout mechanism towards the deadline. Yep. And that doesn't benefit all good teams though. Uh, like the Sixers are not good enough to be a title favorite. They're not a glamour city to um, attract in that regard. And quite frankly, Embiid and Simmons just don't like, they don't have quite the pull that a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James or an Anthony Davis do to that veteran crowd. So the Sixers, while a good team are not buyout market favorites. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't think I would have wanted LaMarcus Aldridge anyway. Like I think, Brooklyn sort of took what they, the the pool that they have and the attractiveness that they have and probably targeted the wrong people, uh, which I think should give Sixers fans some hope. But it is tough. And then you've got the other players like 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 Gorgie Jang who want the players where they can get the most minutes. Because when Joel Embiid comes back, you're not going to play um, them at the 4-5 together. So you're talking about a pretty minor role. Now, I think this is where someone like Olenek, because he can play a little bit more at the four, might you might be able to convince him, hey, not only do you get the backup five minutes, but we'll we'll take Mike Scott right out of that rotation. Uh, and you can get some of those minutes as well at the four. Yeah. So you can play a, a more significant role. So I think someone like him, that kind of a player, the Sixers have a better chance to compete against because they do still have a chance to run, make a run for a title and give him major minutes for his next contract. But if he doesn't get bought out or if he wants to go back to Boston where he's comfortable and familiar and he's, he's been before, yeah, I'm not sure there's a great option. Or even a, there's obviously not a great option because we're talking about buyout guys. I'm not sure if there's even a real interesting option. Yeah, and that's a problem. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think if they got either, uh, Olenek's the best option for sure. Uh, but even if you got Mikey Moose, to just have that, that club in your golf bag for the for the playoffs. I think that's really important. And, you know, like, look, you said it. It's not the most playing time that some of these guys can get offered, but it's the most important 10 minutes that, that these guys can get offered. It's for a team that can make the third round of the playoffs, maybe the finals. We'll see. You know, it, it is the team that desperately needs those 10 minutes more than anybody. And, and I understand, like, some fans might wonder, well, wh- why are you freaking out about, you know, Embiid is going to play most of these minutes? So so there are a few problems here. Well, we, One, we, just, saw, we just saw two years ago how you can lose a playoff series in 10 in minutes three a game. minutes. Yeah. Three minutes. Not just 10. So that's the first thing. And by the way, you had Greg Monroe stinking it up uh, a former failed buyout acquisition uh, yep. during during that time. So that's one thing. So, so you have... You have like the what the Sixers 
have right now. It's it's Joel Embiid is your starting center. He's going to play 38 minutes a game. You have one option to play backup center right now, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard is not a bad backup center, but the problem is if you want to stagger Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and that to me seems like the easiest option for the Sixers come playoff time. If Ben Simmons is playing better than what we've seen right now, which I, I think he will, like, you know, he's he's certainly a player who can, you know, his, his play can wax and wane a little bit, but fine. Like, you, he is your second best player, and you would want to stagger him with Embiid for those 10 minutes. Here's the problem. Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard, that is a no-go in the yep. playoffs. I'm The jury is out on that. They are, I believe, minus 10 points per 100 possession on the season. I think they've played like up to 600 possessions now. They just can't score for very obvious reasons. By like the way, said, I actually have those numbers right up here with me. Offensively, here, here are their offensive numbers with Simmons and Howard on the court. Negative 10.6 net rating, 8th percentile across the league. So that means they're better than 8% of the lineups across the league. 103.5 offensive rating, 7th percentile. 17.8% turnover rate, 2nd percentile. And their effective field goal percentage, which is their high watermark of this uh, lineup, is 13th percentile. They don't do anything well. Not a thing. Yeah, Those stats are just code for there's no space. It's just it's a clogged paint. For for very obvious reasons, like Doc can draw up a good, you know, there was a first set of the game last night where he ran, <laughs> he ran a, a staggered snug pick and roll to get Dwight a dunk, but th- those are few and far between. And Ben is a player, you know, we talk about the the 42-point game in Utah. I don't think Mike Scott should be in the rotation. Like, I, you know, he has played very poorly for most of the season. But just having a three-point shooter, they started him in that game, and Ben was attacking with the uh, with the added space that uh, that he had. So I look at it a couple ways. If they don't get a stretch five type option, maybe they'll play Tobias and Dwight for those ten minutes a game. They will yeah. have Ben and Joe together. To me, that seems a little bit dicey. Like I would want to have Tobias and Ben on the court at the. Uh, at the same time during those minutes. But maybe they do that. Maybe they play Ben at the five, although they really haven't experimented with that enough to the point where I'd be satisfied with that. Well, so and it hasn't it hasn't really worked. Hasn't really worked either, too. Like they, they don't, can't they can't defend with that lineup. Like they've we've we've we tried that in previous seasons. They don't he's not a rim protector and you don't have enough switchable parts on the perimeter to counteract that. And then they've the tried light. putting Mike Scott at the five and God he's awful. So there's really no, like, there's no real way to solve this. And you've given it, like, we're, talk, we're talking about those Ben Simmons and, and, and Dwight Howard lineups. We're talking about 600 possessions now. Like, we're not talking about no sample size. They've had a long time, and this is something, a concern we had coming into the season. We have a long time to see it play out. And it's not going to get any easier in the playoffs when you have defenses who are so good at using up space uh, to make your life hell. It, yeah, it's a concern, for sure. And And for me, too, you have Daryl Morey who has not made the big splash trade this year. He has worked right. within the parameters that, uh, that he has. And he, he has done a, I would say a very good job of not sacrificing future assets and improving the fit around those two guys. So for a front office and a season that has been based around that one principle space around our two best players, 
to not have a stretch five option for those minutes, that is a disappointment if that yep. is what comes to fruition. So, look, we're talking about something. It's not over yet. Maybe they do get lucky on the buyout market. Maybe they find a creative solution come playoff time. But I, I'd be pretty concerned about this if uh, if that is the case next month. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And right now, I think that probably is going to be the case. I don't see, Seems unless like there's a surprising buyout that happens. I don't see uh I don't see anything to really change that status quo. And I am am definitely concerned in that regard. So I guess we'll take a, a step back here. And this now that we've had a couple days here since our trade deadline reaction podcast. Have had, now that you've had some time for George Hill trade to sink in, is there anything like do you have any new perspective on it? It should have been less aggressive, more aggressive, uh in, in something else. Like what I guess what's your takeaway now that we're a couple days removed? I think my main takeaway in watching some of the games since the trade deadline is I, I still can't believe Toronto didn't trade Lowry for yeah. something. Um, so as for the Sixers, it does seem like Hill is uh, is a bit away. You know, I think Doc mentioned we're looking to get him ready with a, a 10 game sample. Now that could yep. be a little bit more, but you know, he, he certainly was on the uh, under promise over deliver idea. I mean, 10 game sample that, that would, pretty much take us all the way into May if that were uh if that were the case I would you would hope he'd be ready to go by like the middle of April that you would have a well, look, they've uh, got they've got 25 games left so that means he would be out 15 more games until he gets back into the lineup yeah we'll see I mean again we haven't been around this guy I don't think that the Sixers have really been around this guy they're on the road and they gave him the same Messages and bead like just go to Philly and we'll we'll meet you there when we uh we get back. Uh, no, I, I don't really have a, a ton of uh of new info on that. I mean, I you know we we talked about it like rock, rock solid perimeter player. What what did you have in mind? I mean, I think I'm more okay with not pursuing Lowry any more aggressively than they did. In part because I just I'm not sure this team is really ready to win a title yet either. Uh, like if, if the Sixers were on the doorstep of, you know, we talk about everything in odds. If they were starting at the point where they had a 25% chance at a title and you could increase that, then I think I'd be more aggressive in selling off future assets than if they're in like the 8% range to win a title. And I think they're probably closer to the 8% range and the 25% range. And look, if it was maxi and a first, I'm still like, yeah, go for it. But even Maxi and two firsts, forget about Thibel. I don't think I would have been comfortable with Maxi and two firsts. Um, so if if Toronto was asking for Maxi, two firsts, and Thibel, then that's a. Uh, I don't think they're close enough to sell out that much, as much as I would have liked to watch Kyle Lowry play. And that doesn't mean they have no shot of getting the finals or no shot of winning it. But there's enough good teams, and this team has enough flaws that I just I I don't know if. I would I would have really liked watching Kyle Lowry play, but I'm okay, I'm okay having, you know, waiting for the next opportunity. I guess is the way I would say it. And everything I do, and I'm probably frustratingly so, is about winning that title. And I just wonder if there's not going to be another possibility, another opportunity, that if they would have traded for Lowry, I would have been like, you know what? If they would just had two more first round picks, another young player or two, they could be in on that. And I think that's where I'm at. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah, the the theme of this season has been patience. I mean, let let's say Matisse knocks it out of the park in a playoff series. Like let's say they lose to Brooklyn in the conference finals, 
But Matisse is awesome. Then, I mean, you know, then you're at the point where, okay, we, we're going to have a chance with this guy over the next couple of years. But if a star player becomes available, maybe Matisse becomes a more attractive option. Yeah, and than, that, uh, that's part of it too. Like if Tyrese figures it out here over the next 12 months and starts looking a lot more promising than he did throughout the middle portion of this season, he could be a much more valuable trade chip. Um, yeah, that, that that's definitely part of it too. Definitely it's going to be a big, big off season for him to, uh, to work on his shot and, you know, kind of understand what will get him minutes and what won't. Um, I, th- I thought it was funny that uh, he has his highest scoring game in almost two months against the team that he scored uh 39 against, you know, a while back. Uh, he likes playing against uh, Denver. Also, too, it is funny. He also likes playing in garbage time uh, in both of those yeah. games. One, because you were missing all of your regular players, and the other, because you were down by 20-some-odd points in the first quarter. Uh, he had a chance to. But he I, look, he played. He played well last night. Good, like, yeah. They came back and almost made you care about the game again. That was a good game. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny in the middle of the, maybe it was the second quarter when he was in there. Doc was coaching him. Doc, I've never seen this before. Doc brought him over and like grabbed the laptop from the second row. <laughs> And he was showing Maxie what was happening on a laptop, not during a timeout, like in the middle of like free throws. <laughs> it wasn't a very long period of time. That was uh, that was pretty interesting. He's still uh, he's still coaching him up. Yeah. So I, I, I don't completely disagree with that opinion. I, I guess I guess my my question is like, how good is Brooklyn going to be? Because to me, they have the Sixers have moved up the pecking order a decent bit here. I. You know, I know that they could lose to a team like Boston or Miami. Maybe they're a little more playoff ready. I, I'm picking the Sixers in that series. I'm sure. sorry. They've been Me a too. better team this year. Me too. And and frankly, like, they've been a better team than Milwaukee in a lot of ways this year, too. Milwaukee's an interesting team come playoff time. I think that could be close to a, a toss-up series with, you know, Milwaukee's ability to switch. But t- to me, I haven't seen anything that, that tells me Milwaukee is completely out of their – uh out of their realm. It's just Brooklyn is kind of looming over everybody yeah. with, uh, with the ability there. And, you know, Daryl mentioned that at his press conference after the uh, press availability, after the trade deadline where he admitted, he was like, I think Brooklyn is the favorite. And I think there are probably five or six teams that can, can win it all. And we're part of that, but they, they come in as the favorite. The, the question is, are they a slight favorite where a Lowry player might have gotten you on their level or over the top? Or was Lowry not making the the major difference? I uh I certainly trust Maury's opinion when it comes to valuing yeah. those assets and also valuing Kyle Lowry. So yeah. And look, when I say something like I don't think the Sixers are necessarily ready to be a title favorite, something of that wording. Like, I'm not doing that to be like a contrarian or a negadelphian or any, like, I don't, we're not going to get any more subscriptions because I'm skeptical of whether or not they'll win a title this year. That's not, we're going to get some bad iTunes reviews. Yeah, that, that's not that's how that works. Get. Like, we're not, we're not negative enough to actually get attention here. When I say that, it's because I, I look at everything through a, how can they get to a, to winning an NBA title? And right now, I, I, when I take stock of it, I say, well, maybe the best bet to win an NBA title is to, you know, hoard and develop the few remaining assets you have so that when the next opportunity, which might be a better opportunity or a longer term opportunity comes into play, you're ready for it. 
if you're talking a 10, even a 10 to 15% chance, it's just, is this the right time to push those few remaining chips in? And I, I think they're just a little bit off of where that would be. And the reason I say that isn't to be a negative podcaster. It is because I think it might be a, you know, just a little bit more patience. So you get another opportunity um, when both, and it's, it's tough because how much bigger of a step can Joel Embiid take? He's taken a pretty fucking gigantic one. How much bigger of a step can Tobias Harris take? I don't think he's going to change who he is as a player. Uh, the one you're counting on to take a bigger step is Ben Simmons. Uh, and then that would change what you need with your team. But also you're counting on some of these young players to take a step to increase their trade value. So when the next star or quasi-star becomes available, maybe one who isn't 35 and would have more of a run with you becomes available, you have stronger trading chips. And I think that is a big part of where I am right now. I just don't feel like Maxi and Thibel um, have reached the apex of their trade value. I don't feel like Kyle Lowry, as much as I like him, the age and the next contract concern me enough that I'm just not 100% sure this was the time to go all in. And again, going back to it, Maxi in a first, you do it just to see if it, you are closer than maybe I think. You do it just to see how good of a fit Kyle Lowry would be. You just can't sell everything. And I think I think over the, what now, six days since the trade deadline, I've become more okay with missing out on Kyle Lowry because of that. It's a good place to end it on. We'll see. We'll see. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.